the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. We're going to be taking a look at Mark chapter 3 today. We're going to be looking at specifically verses 31 through 35. We're going to be talking about the family values of Jesus. An interesting section of scripture, a challenging and beautiful section of scripture. Verses 31 through 35. Here's how my Bible reads. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So one of the tough things about following after Jesus in obedience and love is he's constantly disrupting our understanding of how we should live. Jesus defies categorization. As I grow older, I see that more and more. I'm increasingly challenged by the words of Jesus. I appreciate it more and more. And I hear all the time, and maybe you do too, from people who aren't Christians, stuff like this. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. But if you dig into that, oftentimes you'll find, not always, but oftentimes you'll find that the person saying that doesn't really know Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible anyway. People, all of us, all of us are tempted to like or want to follow a Jesus of our own making, one that doesn't confront or challenge us, one that never speaks difficult words to us, one that never confronts our ideologies or ways of operating. But the Jesus of the Bible confronts everyone. He keeps all of us from finding a fleshly, easy comfort. Instead, he invites us into a real, enduring, lasting, glorious comfort and joy both now and forever. And it's important for us to be challenged this morning by the one who will bring rest to our souls. And it's important for us to talk about the family values of Jesus located for us here in Mark chapter 3 in the context of this particular sermon series where we've been talking about human sexuality, something beautiful for God. You can see we've got the banners about it that are behind me now, which I think are very lovely. I really like them. 
Here's one of the reasons for us to want to talk about this in this particular series. The sexual revolution has left many people broken, discarded, alone, forsaken. The sexual revolution has encouraged people to pursue their sexual passions wherever and whenever they arise, to run after their own truth, to live their best life now, however they define that. Since the sexual revolution in the United States, marriage rates have plummeted and divorce rates have risen sharply. More and more children are born without a dad. More and more children grow up in homes where there isn't both a mother and father present. More women are taken advantage of and then discarded. More men are growing up addicted to flashing images on a screen. There's increasing loneliness, more alienation, more abandonment, more sorrow, more isolation. And the isolation just continues to grow as people have been quarantined and as work has become increasingly remote for at least a segment of the population. I read a heartbreaking story in, uh, on CNN uh, just a little while back that talked about a substantial percentage of seniors just have no one that will come and talk to them because their families have sort of cut them out and so they live in residential facilities all by themselves, oftentimes for years in some abject loneliness with few others than just the nurses to come in and care for them. There's loneliness all around. What I want to submit to you is that the solution to all of this is not to try to return to the family values mentality of the post-war baby boom. What I want to suggest to you is that the solution to all of this comes from the family values of Jesus, the Jesus that we encounter in this text today in front of us, right here, right now. We're going to be looking at this passage, a simple story, easy to understand, but a difficult one to embrace or live into or follow because of the instruction here is is difficult and confronts us. And so we're going to be talking about this in two points, a simple story and a difficult instruction. So let's take a look first at the simple story. That's the first point. Jesus has become very famous by this point in Mark. It's early on in the Gospel of Mark, just the third chapter, but Jesus has already become very, very popular, very famous. Large crowds are gathering around him. In verse 20, if your Bibles are still open, you can look at chapter 3, verse 20 along with me. One of the things that you can note is that so many people were gathered around Jesus that he couldn't even eat. People were packed to draw near to the miracle worker. People would gather from miles and miles around to hear the words of the teacher. And Jesus is starting to be opposed by the religious leaders because of his popularity. They're saying things like, he's got a demon. That's why it is that he's able to heal people. That's why it is that he's able to drive out demons. It's by the power of demons that he's driving out demons. And all of this is nonsense. But the teachings of Jesus are already difficult. And his family seems a bit concerned about him. They're searching for him to get a hold of him because they say that he's sounding crazy and here at the end of Mark chapter 3 they finally get a hold of him he's appointed his 12 disciples by this point he's traveled all around he's got the popularity of a rock star people packed so tight that he can't get out from them to find some food and space enough to eat it but someone gets word through the crowd hey Jesus your mom and your brothers are here they're outside they're looking for you And how would we expect Jesus to respond? 
Well, the Jesus of song and superstition, the one who is only nice all the time and doesn't cry at all when he's away in a manger, this Jesus that never confronts or challenges would certainly stop and tell the crowd to make room for his mom and his brothers to come near, and then he'd probably listen to his mom that he was stirring up trouble and it was time for him to come home to Nazareth and find a nice girl and settle down and find a job as a middle manager with some good benefits and great vacation leaves so that mom could spend time around the grandkids and they could live in a life of comfort. But the Jesus of the Bible hears that his mom and his brothers are around and he says, I've actually got my mom and brothers and sisters with me here already. I'm good. These ones who are close to me, who are surrounding me, who want to do the will of God, this is actually my family, so I'm good right now. And that's the story. Simple enough. And the teaching is simple enough to understand If you want to be a part of the family of Jesus, do God's will. You're not an insider in the family of God because of your last name. The family of God doesn't accept people like colleges do. Your parents went here? You got a lot of money that you donated to the college? Well, welcome to Harvard. That's not the way that it works to become a part of the family of God. The family of God doesn't operate like restaurants do, right? Where you step up and there's a wait and they're like, oh, but your last name is, I don't know. Rockefeller or Kennedy or Walton or something like that. Here's a table for you. We've got some space for you. We know your last name. Come on, sit down. That's not the way that the family of God works. You have no privileged place because of being born to the right family. You can't get along by the faith of your mom or your grandpa or your great-great-grandparents or your cousins or your great-uncle on your dad's side. That's not the way that it works. The family of God is not a family of flesh and blood. It's flesh and blood people that are joined together by faith. Even the actual physical brother of Jesus Christ doesn't get a privileged place with Jesus. Only those who do God's will. Or to put it more simply, only Christians get to be a part of the family of God, not anyone else. And... And the family of God is more fundamental than the natural family. The family of God is primary. The human family is secondary. That is what Jesus is teaching us by what it is that he's doing at the end of Mark chapter 3. The family of God is primary. The natural family is secondary. And having the right family, natural connections does not get you any traction with the Lord Jesus or get you to be a part of his family. So that's the simple story. Here's the difficult part of it. There are a few different reasons that this story is or may be difficult for us. First, as we read this story, Jesus seems a little mean, doesn't he? If there were a famous musician playing a concert near his hometown and his mom and brothers drove out and word got to him backstage, hey, your mom and your brothers are here. If this, if this musician was like, you know what, it's a sold out concert, they're going to have to go back home, you wouldn't think very highly of that particular musician. Or if there was an incredibly famous athlete here in Chicago, let's say Michael Jordan or Justin Fields, let's say Michael Jordan or Justin Fields are playing and, the, and their, their family comes to see the game and word gets to them and, and they're like, well, you know what, the game is sold out, so they're going to have to turn around and go home. You'd be like, what are you doing? Just find a spot for them in the stadium. You know there are always ways to kind of move things around. Give them a spot in the owner's box. This is this is the star player's family. Justin Fields is like, nah, no thanks. The Bears, the Chicago Bears are my family. 
not my parents, not my brothers, we wouldn't think that highly of him. But Jesus says that about those who had surrounded him. And that seems, at least at first, like Jesus is kind of mean. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. Here's the second challenge. What's this about doing God's will that gets you to be in the inside of the family here? I thought that we were saved by grace through faith. Jesus, haven't you read the Apostle Paul? Didn't you know that it's not about work so that no one can boast? Haven't you heard of Ephesians chapter 2? What is this about doing God's will and being a part of God's family? Well, Jesus is not disagreeing here with the rest of the revelation of the scriptures about how somebody is saved. Jesus isn't telling you that the way to be justified is to do good works. What Jesus is telling us here is that obeying God is evidence of a true and saving faith. The cadets will be able to tell you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the verse of the cadets, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus says. That's what cadets know. Loving God is evidenced by obeying God. A true faith will produce the fruit of repentance and obedience. If you're a Christian and you're only willing to obey yourself and you don't care so much about obeying God, you need to repent and believe the gospel because your soul is in danger. Here's the third difficult part. It's a really hard teaching. Isn't the family good? Isn't the family something that is worth preserving and standing up for? Isn't the family good? Isn't the family something that's created by God? So why is it that Jesus is saying these things here? Well, yes, the family is good. The Lord Jesus, true God and true man, is the inventor of the family, the creator of the family, and he made it good. And Ephesians 5 tells us that marriage is this institution that can and will sanctify the husband and wife when husband and wife are living into it rightly, that marriage is a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as such is an excellent thing. The scriptures tell us that children Children are a blessing from the Lord. Jesus himself made provision for his mother, made provision for Mary, even as he is in agony at the cross. He looks at her and he looks at John and he says, woman, this is your son and, and, and this is your mother. He's saying, all right, Mary, you are going to be able to live with John now. He's telling his disciple, John, you make sure you take care of my mom after I'm gone. He loved his mother. And clearly, he didn't ultimately despise his brothers because the the book of of James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And so even, even his own brothers became followers of Jesus, became Christians. The Bible tells us of the incredible good of the family all throughout. We're going to be talking about that next week when we meet together. All this doesn't diminish that reality. I'm not diminishing the good of the family, but Jesus, while he is not saying that the family is bad, he is saying that the natural family is secondary and that the family of God is primary. 
that the natural family is secondary and the family of God is primary. And he says it in extremely powerful ways in different parts of the scripture, more intensely than he does here. Let me quote a couple other sections of the Bible. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In keeping with Old Testament prediction, Jesus said that he came not to bring peace but a sword to, quote, set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Now, those are some strong words. He says he's coming even to turn families against each other. He says, if you don't hate your mom or your siblings, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. And of course, Jesus is speaking in hyperbolic terms. Jesus is God and God is love. God, Jesus isn't coming to say, you, you better be a hateful person if you want to be one of my disciples. But he is speaking in striking ways and it would be wrong for me to try to mute those things. What he's saying is this, that the love that you and I have for God should so transcend the love that we have for our natural family members that it is like the difference between hate and love. God should be so primary to us that it should be so clear that everything else is secondary. We should live our lives in such a way that it is evident that love for God is the defining fact of our life, is the defining feature of our life. And that actually relativizes everything else without diminishing its good or importance. The Christian understands that the family is extremely important, that it is such a good thing for children to have their mom and dad present with them, to raise them. It's such a good thing to have affection within family. It's such a good love that God gives to us. And as good as that is, it should not come close to how important our relationship to God is. And our relationship as Christians should be more fundamental and more primary. And this is hard. This is really difficult. It's difficult because... It's, uh, it's very easy for a, a family, for family to become an idol. One pastor um, I heard once said, you know, I, I've heard all sorts of people talk about ways that they had inappropriately placed their identity in, in different things before they came to Jesus, as I've heard testimonies. I've heard people say, you know, I, before I came to Jesus, I was just addicted to success. And my whole family, my, my whole life was about just more success, about advancing in work, just getting higher, making sure that everything else kind of was laid on the altar of success so I could get ahead, so I could advance, so I could do better, so I could feel like I was always going upward and onward. And then I came to Jesus and I realized that success was my idol and I had to stop caring so much about success and I had to start following Jesus. He said, I've, I've heard tons of people say, you know, before I, uh, I came to Jesus, I, my whole life was just wrapped up in, in, in the sex that I could have. I just had this inappropriate identity connected to it. That's all, that's all I cared about. That's all I was pursuing. And then I realized after I started following Jesus that that was the wrong place to place my identity. And I had to repent and start following Jesus. He said, I have never in my life heard somebody say, before I started following Jesus, all I cared about was my family. The only thing I cared about was my family. That's where I put all my energy. That's how I found my identity from being a good mom or being a good son or being a good brother or being a good sister or being a great aunt. He said, I've never heard somebody say that, that they found their identity in family and had to repent of that and turn and follow Jesus. But the reality is, is that for each one of these things, if this is where our identity is, if this is what we are worshiping, 
if this is the thing that makes up who we are, then we've started worshiping something other than Jesus. And we need to repent of that and start following after Jesus in obedience and love. Because for the Christian, your first family are those that you are joined to through faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, I'm thankful that today we have a baptism in this service and two in the next because one of the things that baptism always reminds us of is the importance of, of natural family and how good it is. It's awesome to see members of the family of uh, Matt and Jenny here today. That's a, an incredible blessing. It's really wonderful to be able to see the, the testimony of faith as it lives on in different generations. But also, baptism reminds us that the vows that are made are made by the parents and the congregation. It's not just the parents and the grandparents. It's not just the the parents and the aunts and the uncles. It's that this child is becoming a, a baptized covenantal member of this family. And that what characterizes us is that we together, as the body of Christ Jesus, have just made vows, have committed ourselves to showing McKenna the gospel, praying for her, making sure that she knows that she's a part of this family, this church, that that the family that she's a part of is not just the, the wonderful natural family that she's born into, but all of these dear brothers and sisters who are members here, who are part of this congregation. It's a wonderful reminder of what is primary, that the vows that are made are made by the church family, because that's what's fundamental to us. Again, family becomes an easy idol because family is a very good thing. But it's important for us to examine our own hearts and minds and wills to think, hey, how has an American system of family values seeped into my own heart or thinking? And where does it need to be corrected by Jesus's family values? Where have I been living, uh, you know, hoping that my children would live a life of comfort and that they wouldn't be too far away so that I might experience their presence and the joy of grandkids? Where have I been encouraging a life of, I don't know, middle-class American lifestyle? Let me ask you this. For all of you who are parents or grandparents, consider what you'd prefer for maybe your own daughter as she grows up. Would you prefer that your daughter would have an easy life Popularity in middle school, however unlikely that is, middle school is terrible. You know, high school where she gets good grades and is well thought of, well liked, maybe even homecoming queen. College where things aren't too difficult, a, a nice career, meeting a nice guy, living close to home, having a nice family, no sickness, few troubles, easy life, new minivan, grandkids all around. Is that preferable to you, to a life where your daughter grows up and she's mistreated in middle school because she's a strong Christian and therefore makes some people uncomfortable? In high school, maybe she disagrees with one of her teachers who's saying something that's not in accordance with the scripture and gets bad grades because of it. Maybe off in college, she challenges some of the ideologies of her professors and because of it, they tell her that she's a fool and... She's not going to amount to much. What if she decides that God is calling her to be a missionary and she goes to a place that's not been reached by the gospel and it's not receptive and she dies at the hands of those that she's trying to take the gospel to? Is that an unacceptable life for your daughter? Is that not preferable to her having it easy and being close? Now understand, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with living a quiet life and living close to your parents 
and raising your kids simply and humbly to know the Lord that's good. But if being close to your grandkids is superior to a child that believes the gospel so fiercely that she's willing to lay her life down on the mission field, then that indicates that maybe there's some idolatry about family in your heart. Are you parents or grandparents subtly or not so subtly encouraging your kids to live a comfortable middle class life or to lead a Christian life? Because that will indicate where your treasure is. As you think about the Lord's Day, Sunday, is it only ever a family day, meaning your natural family, or is it a family of God day? Is it a a day to celebrate the fact that we are a part of a broader group of people, or is it the sort of day where it would be uncomfortable to sort of invite someone into your home because this is a family day? And if it is, what does that say about where our treasure is? Again, please understand, I'm not saying that you should never spend time just with your family, but what I am saying is that your natural family is not and should not be that which is primary. Please understand also what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to use this to manipulate you to volunteer. I'm not trying to say that every activity of the church is more important than every activity of the family. I'm not going to sort of move to application and be like, so we need nursery volunteers. If you really love Jesus, you should volunteer in the nursery. We do need nursery volunteers, by the way, but that's not a, part of, it's not a part of the sermon. I'm not saying that every activity in the church is more important than every family activity. Some people, some pastors, are tempted to think that or believe that and can neglect their family because they're at church activities all the time. What I am saying is that God and his ways need to be primary for us. And that means The worship of the church should be primary in our life and in our desires and in our following after the Lord Jesus. So having said all this and acknowledging some of the difficulty of all of this because family is such a great good and because of how good it is, it can so easily be an idol, let me just close by saying that there is actually incredible beauty to being a part of the family of God. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.